Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast providing in-depth analysis and coverage of your favorite Milwaukee Brewers by Peter and David Go. Welcome Brewers fans to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, your best weekly Brewers podcast out there. I'm your host, Peter Go. Uh, back. It's been a while. Certainly glad to be back. Uh, as David had alluded to, a few kind of, uh, I guess you call it big life moments happening over the last couple of weeks. So I think it's fair to say I had a good reason uh, for my absence, uh, wedding, my own wedding and honeymoon. So good to be back here with David. And uh, it seems to be the Brewers did a, a pretty good job while I was away. And David did a great job of covering that, uh, David. So I enjoyed uh, listening to your podcasts while uh, getting a quick workout in and, and keeping up with the Brewers. Um, and certainly good couple weeks for the Brewers after kind of slipping uh, right right before I headed out. And another very, very strong week. Um, like you had talked about, two not as good opponents, but still very good results uh, from the Brewers this week. David, what are your thoughts on this week? Yeah, I think I remember talking last week about how it would really be a successful week if the Brewers were able to take five out of six against both Detroit and Arizona, the two opponents playing at home, both weaker opponents. Brewers split the two-game set with Detroit and then swept the four-game series with Arizona. That was great to see. Uh, some really encouraging performances. Of course, as always, the great pitching. Uh, Brewers were able to win Brett Anderson's start and then provide some run support for uh, for the big three of uh, Peralta, Woodruff, and Burns. And then um, some good offense, too, a pretty good offense. We haven't really seen the offense break out a whole lot until really now. I feel like the offense is starting to pick up a little bit more. Scored seven runs on Tuesday against Detroit, seven again on Thursday, seven again on Saturday. Uh, again, weaker opponents, but definitely better to see Yelich is healthy again. Yelich starting to pick up a little bit with the bat. Uh, Narvaez hasn't really slowed down at all. The big, the big thing with the offense right now, Colton Wong landing on the injured list with another oblique strain, same spot. Um, so shouldn't be quite as severe as, as the first time around, but still we'll keep him out for a little bit. Uh, the Brewers will have Urias at least at second to uh, fill in for him. So that's at least not too bad because Urias has been swinging the bat pretty well lately. I think he's a little bit better suited for second base, at least right now defensively. So at least the Brewers have a capable replacement, but... Certainly, you don't want to lose your starting second baseman. But either way, Brewers had a great week against both Detroit and Arizona. Took care of business of, of the, the weaker teams. Yeah, like you said, uh, big big wins, even though weaker opponents. But it's really important. I mean, as, we, as we've seen, Brewers now finding themselves atop the NL Central, tied with uh, the Chicago Cubs at 33-26, and 26, which um, certainly you got to be pretty happy with. But like you said, you know, you're not playing – we're not playing the Padres, the Dodgers. We're not playing divisional rivals. But nonetheless, it, like you said, these games are starting to continue to uh, increase in their importance and taking care of business of some weaker opponents this week was good to see. And and I also want to highlight as well, like you said, seeing Christian Yelich, I've almost gotten used to not seeing Yelich um, with him out pretty much this entire season. Seeing him back in the lineup almost uh, was seemed a little bit out of the ordinary. So happy to see his bat back and and hopefully he is able to pick up pick up things on the offensive side for the Brewers. So, David, uh, before we dive in further, what is today's trivia question? Today's trivia question is about Corbin Burns' excellent outing on Sunday against Arizona. He recorded 13 strikeouts over seven innings. So our question today is, who was the last Brewer starting pitcher to strike out 13-plus in a game? 
I will give a hint. It has happened within the last few years, uh, but not this year, not last year. Uh, so a couple of years ago, uh, it did happen. And it was a pretty, pretty notable game. Uh, I'm guessing that when you find out the answer, you'll be like, oh, yep, yep, remember that game. Um, but not necessarily high stakes, just a little bit memorable. Uh, so that's the hint I will give on the trivia question. Um, I, it was actually a little bit surprising when I, when, I, when I found out that that was the last time with, with the great pitching that the Brewers have had over the last couple of years. Uh, also wanted to go into today's random player of the day, a guy who never played for the Brewers, but he actually played for the original Seattle Pilots back in 1969, was a member of their rotation for, for most of the year. 20 appearances, 14 games started. Guy by the name of Mike Marshall. You might know him as the 1974 NL Cy Young Award winner. Uh, he was known to some as Iron Mike um, because he could pitch forever and his arm wouldn't fall off. Um, he it was kind of like a the Trevor Bauer of his time. Not so much in the performance as a starting pitcher, but as a guy who was always looking for more answers. He actually had a PhD in, I think, kinesiology or applied exercise science, something along those lines, and really advocated for um, a very unique and unorthodox way of pitching where you know how you normally see the typical pitching motion, uh, the leg lift and the push-off and the landing, kind of conventional, almost every pitcher is the same. Marshall advocated for a pitching motion where the, the pitcher stands square to the plate and then rears back and the front foot steps considerably out. And then you have a, a repertoire consisting of fork balls and screw balls and a lot of stuff that goes away from an opposite handed hitter. Um, so this was a lot of stuff that he kind of discovered or he kind of advocated for after his career. And the thing was, there wasn't really anybody who was ever willing to try it out um, on, on a high, at a high level. Uh, but they were things that he tried to pass on. Mike Marshall did pass away um, a week ago, May 31st. Uh, and so that is why we are commemorating him today as the random player of the day. Uh, but he was a member of the original Seattle Pilots back in 1969. Uh, never got to play with the Brewers because uh, they did let him go after the year. They traded him uh, for a guy by the name of Don Bosch, who actually, excuse me, they they... they uh, sold him to the Astros, who then traded him for uh, Don Bosch. Um, but e either way, he never ended up playing for the Brewers and had a pretty good career, considering he was kind of a castaway, uh, unconventional guy, threw 208 innings out of the bullpen in 74, and had a pretty good career and passed away, unfortunately, at the age of 78 just last week. Yeah, interesting that you bring up Mike Marshall. You, you remember him like you said, from in that year with the Dodgers, over 200 innings as a relief pitcher, which is just kind of laughable at this point, uh, but really did have a, a pretty solid career. I, I, to be honest, I actually did not know that he did appear for the Pilots in that 1969 season, so learned something new uh, with that. Certainly thoughts and prayers go out to his family as well with that recent news. So again, uh, we talked about it right when we got on the episode. Very strong week from the Brewers, five in one week taking care of business. Uh, what are your overall takeaways from, from this week, David? Kind of like I mentioned uh, earlier in the, at the beginning of the episode, the offense was great. I think a big win was on Saturday. Uh, good outing from Woodruff. Not excellent, but I think he's solid five innings, one run, two runs, something like that. Suter comes in, allows a three-run shot to tie the game, five all. The Brewers' offense comes back. Yelich and Narvaez both homer, and the Brewers end up 
taking that win. I thought that was pretty big because we haven't seen the offense step up like that in a long time, or at least not consistently. I know it's just one game, but seeing the offense step up, Yelich with the home run, Narvaez, who's been the best offensive performer all year long, uh, also with a home run. Uh, those were two big hits for the Brewers, and ha- having them take that third game, I thought, really kind of cemented them. They, they get the series win, and it's not like it's just the pitching staff that's carrying the team. The offense stepping up, I thought that was big, uh, and that was one of the bigger takeaways outside of, of course, the the tremendous performance from Freddie Peralta on Friday, the outstanding performance from Corbin Burns on Sunday. Uh, I thought that the offense, especially in that Saturday game, was impressive. Yeah, we're certainly getting spoiled with the Brewers starting pitching. That's that's for sure. Uh, just come to expect, you know, excellent starts from those big three arms at the top of the rotation. But I, I agree with you on the on the game there with uh, Narvaez and Yelich able to bring the Brewers back after Suter giving up the lead in that one. Because, like you said, we haven't seen that from the offense yet. And you do need that occasionally. Sometimes the Brewers bullpen or, you know, at some point the pitching – is going to get hit. And so the offense is going to need to step up. And hopefully with Christian Yelich returning, we continue to see that happening more often. Uh, But good signs um, and hopefully a little bit more consistency as well in the offense um, with with some more um, star power in the middle of the lineup, of course, with Christian Yelich. Yeah, and also that Freddie that Freddie start on Friday. Of course, he had all the stuff working. Um, it was his it also his birthday for those of you who may not know. Um, and and he said it was just everything was working well. Uh, but Freddie Peralta now is 14th in the NL in wins above replacement. Excuse me, 14th in Major League Baseball in wins above replacement. Very impressive, 2.25 ERA, um, almost 13 strikeouts per nine innings, which is top 10 in the majors among starters. We might be looking at a young budding ace. I know we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Is he an ace or not? We don't have to debate that again, Uh, but we're looking at someone who might even be an all-star this year. He just turned 25, still very young. Uh, At this age, Woodruff was kind of just making it to the major leagues. And Peralta's already establishing himself as one of the better pitchers in the National League. That's been a a really exciting development. Uh, I was reading a story about Freddie Peralta from Will Salmon on The Athletic kind of talking about how they discovered him since he was a Mariners farmhand. Brewers traded and got him in the Adam Lind trade back in 2015. But Peralta was a 17-year-old up to 93 miles an hour, getting a ton of swing and misses on his four-seam fastball. And really liked his arm, really thought that he had a lot of upside and kind of targeted him uh, in in trading Adam Lind to them and got back Peralta. Of course, Seattle would like to have Freddie Peralta back. I don't think that they received... Great production from Adam Lind for a a year when they weren't even in contention. The trade ended up working out fabulously for the Brewers. Uh, And the Brewers do have Peralta locked up for, I think, another four or five years. Signed an extension last year at a very low rate. So Brewers certainly have to be happy about that. And just having three of the top, maybe 10 pitchers in the National League right now is outstanding. We've, We've talked about the starting pitching all year long. But it's really hard to, to not talk about it, keep talking about it, talk about it more, because it's just been so good. Yeah, like I said, we're continuing to, can, to get spoiled by the pitching performances that we've seen. And, you know, as far as Freddie Peralta goes, uh, there's no question he's pitched like an ace this season. And I think at this point, if we did reach the All-Star break at this point, yeah, he certainly uh, would be a snub in my book uh, if he wasn't in the All-Star game, especially – solidifying this that 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 
uh, decision after this this past start where he just looked absolutely dominant. Um, like you said, I I think you can. I I, I would I, I would move to as as far as say budding ace certainly. Um, like you said, still young, still a lot of upside, but certainly Brewers have to be very happy with what he's been able to do this year. And like you said, uh, hopefully a bright a bright future and many years to come with with the Brewers in Milwaukee. So uh, we talked a more about the offense and gaining consistency, uh, Colton Wong's injury and how that may shuffle around the Brewers infield. So how do you see this making an impact beyond just Luis Urias playing second? How do you see the rest of the infield uh, shaping up as well with Kesson here returning over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I think it's a, a big question because here came back, said, I really felt like I got back in a good mental state after going home for a little bit back in Nashville and he destroyed triple a pitching and you thought, okay, Keston here is back and he's had some good at bats. He has looked a little bit better since he got back, but he still has not looked like a major league hitter. And that's really an issue, especially with someone who doesn't produce value with the glove or on the bases. When you have really a, a hit only guy who isn't hitting, it's a little bit tough to keep him on the roster for, for the short term. Uh, so what do you do with Keston here? I think it's a big question. And Right now, the Brewers haven't received a lot of production from their corner infield spots, especially with Wong out. We will see Urias and Adamas up the middle a lot, and they have both performed pretty well. I think a lot of people have been acting like Urias hasn't really been that good this year. Uh, I think a lot of it is because Grisham has been good with San Diego, uh, and they, they kind of say, well, uh, we're giving up on Urias, or like the trade didn't pan out. But Urias has been a, about an average defensive player up the middle, which is not bad for a guy who's 24, 25 years old. I know he's made some bad errors, and that's a lot a big reason why they got Adamus. But Urias still has been showing some power, taking a fair share of walks. He's really displayed, I think, a lot of talent and shown that he will be a good player for the Brewers. Um, even if not right now, well, he's already, I think, close to an average player. Um, in the next couple of years, I think a, a pretty solid, dependable infielder but if you look past Urias you look at Hira and you, this is kind of the path you, you thought Hira was going to be probably their second best hitter this year and he's been their worst hitter last year he's hitting 125 216 on base 212 slugging 38 percent strikeout rate numbers that you can't really play a guy who's hitting like that I think what the Brewers should do in this case is option Hira back down to AAA but don't rush him back like they kind of felt like they did Leave him there for at least about a month. And then it, you keep Vogelbach at first sometimes. You put Shaw at first sometimes. Especially, I think it helps once uh, once Wong comes back. You can put Urias at third a little bit more often. Maybe some Daniel Robertson, sprinkle him in a little bit there. Um, but I think let Keston here get his at-bats there. And call up Zach Green from AAA. Zach Green has been raking. He's hit, I think, eight home runs already in the short season of AAA or, or six home runs, something like that. He's a, a minor league free agent signing, but he's has a really proven track record of hitting well at all levels of the minor leagues. And I think calling him up would be a good, a good option for the Brewers right now, especially when they haven't been getting a lot of production from the middle or from the, excuse me, the corner infielders, first third baseman, right-handed hitter, maybe platoon a little bit with Shaw Vogelbach compliments them. Well, I think he would be a guy to bring up uh, and maybe fill in, in, potentially an absence of Keston here so that he can go to AAA and truly kind of get back to the hitter that he is. Yeah. I mean, and, and with that proposition, 
I mean, at, at looking at it from the Brewers' perspective, what's the downside to that move? Sending down here or giving him some time, like you said, you, you just can't play him at this point. And I don't think that continuing to put him out there at the major league level and seeing him continue to struggle is what's best for Hero or the Brewers this year and going forward. I think it, it does make sense. Give him some time. Give the Brewers some some fresh guys, fresh guys at the plate. Hopefully they can produce a little bit more offensively, which frankly wouldn't be very difficult uh, to do with how poorly Hira's hit. Um, but yeah, an interesting thought, not exactly a name that all Brewers fans are familiar with, um, but certainly one that Stearns and the Brewers should be considering. Yeah, I, I think corner infield has been one of the, the weak spots for the, the ball club. Shaw, it seems like Shaw's been having good at bats. It seems like he's really been fine. Uh, even you look at his expected weighted on base average, 317, which really isn't all that bad. It's, it's slightly below average, but just a little bit. But then you look at his numbers, 191 average, 281 on base, 335 slugging. It feels like Shaw's getting really unlucky. His walk rate is good. He's hitting the ball hard still. I think Shaw will turn it around to some degree. I'm not overly concerned about Travis Shaw right now. Vogelbach, I don't like watching Vogelbach play. I don't like watching him hit really. But I think he's fine, especially as a bench bat to keep. But I think adding a guy like Zach Green from AAA, there's really no risk to it. Uh, and maybe get some playing time. Mix it in so you can uh, sit Shaw and Vogelbach against lefties. Have Zach Green play against lefties a little bit more. Uh, I think that might be a good option for the Brewers. Another hole that the Brewers kind of created for themselves in, over the last couple of weeks is in their bullpen. The Brewers have always had a great bullpen. Uh, J.P. Fireyes and Drew Rasmussen both being dealt to Tampa Bay. And that kind of created a hole in the middle relief. Uh, if you look at the bullpen, of course, Hader outstanding. Couldn't ask for anything more out of a closer right now. But Devin Williams, he's been a little bit shaky. I think right now he's more suited for a middle relief role. You got guys like Trevor Richards, Brent Suter, Brad Boxberger. They've all pitched fine. But I don't think they're like true setup men or high leverage relievers. Again, they're more middle relief type uh, type pitchers. So, well, I do think that over the next couple months, the Brewers should probably trade for a, a setup man type reliever uh, from outside the organization. I was looking at so who some of the options might be uh, to call up for relievers. Luke Barker is a guy that the Brewers, I really think, should call up. He's been dominating Triple A uh, for a while now. He is the closer. Um, on that AAA Nashville Sounds team, which, by the way, did run off a 15-game win streak recently, which is very impressive. Um, Barker so far this year has struggled a little bit more than in previous years, 4-2-6 ERA, but he's still limiting base runners really well. Got a .868 whip, striking out nine batters uh, per nine innings. And he's got an excellent splitter that I think would really play in the major leagues. Uh, going back to 2019, he had a 1-4-8 ERA in AA Biloxi. Um, he's been outstanding in the minor leagues. He was actually, a, I think, a D2 pitcher, signed out of independent ball, kind of a classic Brewers pitcher story. I think he would be a great guy to bring up to add to the bullpen right now, maybe lengthen them out and create a little bit more depth. Or another guy is Aaron Ashby. Ashby has pitched really well as a starter in AAA. I think he'd be a, a very good reliever in the major leagues right now. Um, and I, I think he could really help the bullpen, even though he probably wouldn't go into a high leverage spot right away. I think he could maybe help ease the load a little bit. Maybe you get Williams back uh, to what we saw a little bit more last year. Maybe Suter uh, can improve a little bit since he won't be as overworked, especially a guy like Ashby who can go multiple innings. 
I think Ashby and Barker are both guys that I would like to see the Brewers call up sooner rather than later. Would you say the Brewers bullpen is still a strength of the team or do you not see that as the case any longer? No, I, I would not say it's a strength right now. I, I do feel confident it will be a strength by the end of the year because it seems like it always is. Council is excellent at manning, managing the bullpen. The Brewers are great at developing pitchers, especially relief pitchers. I wouldn't say it's a liability, but I wouldn't say it's a strength. I think the true strength is the starting pitching. I think we know that. The offense, I think, is kind of the weaker spot, especially, like I said, those corner infield spots. Bullpen's just kind of neutral. It's, it's been okay. It doesn't really hurt the team in a big way, but it, I don't think it's really been, like, the, the main positive or, the, or the, the, the strongest part of the team. Yeah, it certainly is a switch for the Brewers. I, I'm, I'm not sure when or if they ever uh... – have really had a, their strength in their starting rotation uh, more so than in their offense or their bullpen. And, and I would agree. I mean, with the likes of Brad Boxberger coming into some higher leverage situations and Brent Suter not being the same pitcher that we've seen out of him in the bullpen uh, since his transition, I agree with you where, where it's currently at. I, I don't see it necessarily as a strength. And maybe we will continue to see Burns, Woodruff, Peralta going into that seventh inning uh, and maybe stretching them out a little bit longer, which – you know, may or may not work over the long haul. Um, but with the Brewers bullpen not being, you know, what it has been over the last couple of years, at least at the moment, may make sense to do that, at least for the short term. One other thing that I wanted to talk about today, uh, I've kind of gone through some various questions that maybe aren't immediately related to like uh, the past week uh, over on the podcast the last couple of weeks. Like, has the Brewers rebuild been successful? Have they been good at drafting and developing talent? Um, how has David Stearns been a, as GM? Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about is I, I think we all can agree that Craig Council has been a great manager for the Brewers, but how has the coaching staff been? That's something that doesn't really get talked about, but I think people are talking about fire Andy Haynes. I think people love to talk about, uh, they, they blame it on the coach, but not even just this year. Over the last couple of years, how has the coaching staff been for the Brewers? Um, whether it be Chris Hook, Andy Haynes. Of course, you, you can't really know uh, as an outsider, um, but what would your initial thoughts be on Chris Hook, Andy Haynes? They've been there for two, three years now, um, or, or the pitching and hitting coaches collectively. How would you say that they have been in the Brewers organization? Yeah, certainly it's interesting uh, with Chris Hook being there over the last couple of years, and we've seen the the, the, the surgeon, the the big three arms and big three young arms the Brewers have been able to develop. So certainly, you know, you can, you can wonder as to the impact that he's had on those arms and even the bullpen, which has been very good over the last couple of years. So it's always hard to say, you know, what kind of impact is the coach having? I would, I would probably just go with, you know, correlating with the pitching going well, hooks in that role. Well, likely he's doing some good things. But we, we, like you said, as an outsider, I'm not sure we really know. And, I, and as far as the offense goes, of course, that one's been under more scrutiny, scrutiny both this year and last year with the struggles there offensively. Again, I don't know how much you can either uh, blame on the coach or uh, take credit for, but I'm not a huge believer in, in firing uh, either hitting coach or pitching coach unless it's really needed for a shakeup because – at the end of the day, I, I do know that they're responsible for the offense or for the pitching, but sometimes it's the players just need to go out 
and execute. And for example, last year, we just didn't see the, the offense go out and execute. I'm not sure that that was necessarily a game plan issue from the Brewers hitting coach or coaches in general. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you on that. I think a lot of people overreact as a whole, especially when you're talking about like a pitching coach, a hitting coach, so easy to place the blame on that person, but it's kind of an organizational thing. It's not like Chris Hook is the only one who ever talks with the pitchers, works with the pitcher, Steve Carsey, assistant pitching coach and bullpen coach, uh, or guys throughout the organization, minor league pitching coordinator, uh, even some of the minor league pitching coaches that help them on their way up to the major leagues. Those guys are at least in part responsible as well. Uh, I do remember Stan Kyles was fired as bullpen coach because the bullpen had been that bad. I think it was in like 2012. That was a pretty unique situation. You don't really see that. And to be honest, I'm not really sure what Stan Kyles was doing with the relievers that uh, pitching coach, uh, who was it at that time? The Brewers pitching coach? Kranitz uh, was, was it, I was yeah, yeah, because that was that was definitely after the Mike Maddox era. Yeah, and they had that one year where they had a uh, Rick Peterson in like 2010. That was Ken Maka uh, brought on his staff, um, but I, I think it was Kranitz. Um, I might be wrong on that one, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but that one was an interesting case. But I would say I think the coaching staff has been pretty good um, as far as the pitching staff. The Brewers don't have like guys that have jumped off the page as far as prospects. Woodruff, Burns, Peralta, I talked about this a few weeks ago. None of them were super highly heralded prospects, and the Brewers ended up just being able to develop them all really well. And I think a lot of credit goes to their major league coaching staff because a lot of that development happened when they got to the major league level, whether it be Burns, who really struggled uh, as a starter initially, Woodruff, who developed from maybe like a three or four starter into an ace, Freddie Peralta, uh, a budding ace, I guess. If we don't want to call him an ace yet, um, he has developed into a really nice pitcher. And a lot of that development has come at the major league level. So I do think it is necessary to give credit there. Um, and then also, I mean, Andy Haynes, of course, I haven't seen the results out of the hitting that you would have liked uh, or that you really want. And I think if it continues for another year, then I do think you look at firing Andy Haynes. But at the same time, uh, last year was a weird year. It's not like they had a ton of talent offensively either. I know we had Narvaez's struggles. That was a big thing. Uh, Yelich was not as good as he should have been. But I also don't think that Andy Haynes is necessarily responsible for a guy like Christian Yelich, who knows what he's doing at the major league level, or say a Travis Shaw, Lorenzo Cain. They, they know what they're doing. And I don't know that the coach is necessarily going to be the main one who's going to be responsible for their performance. Yeah, that's a fair point, too. The Brewers didn't exactly stack their offense up uh, very well last year. And, of course, as we've been saying all year, the unusual circumstances around last year did impact performance uh, on various levels. So I, I agree with you on that. Chris Hook, I also like Chris Hook in that he is a homegrown uh, coach as well. So uh, we talk about homegrown players. I do think there's value as well to homegrown coaches or managers, counsel, of course, a former brewer and, and working in the front office as well before his time as a brewer's manager. Chris Hook, um, after his playing days ended, uh, did coach briefly uh, with a stint in independent ball before being hired to the Brewers uh, back when the Brewers had double-A Huntsville. And he spent some time in the minor leagues. And like you've, we talked about before, also uh, likely ran into some of those, those same players, uh, Brandon Woodruff likely, uh, maybe even Freddie Peralta or Corbin Burns during his time. And then being able to continue to coach them as Hook also moved up, 
I think also serves well with those players because, you know, assuming they a get along with the, the coach, but also find value in working with them. They have that trust and connection confidence between the two that they've already been building up for years that now they get to the major league level and they're able to continue working well together. So I do, I do, I, I am a fan of the Brewers um, trying to develop coaches as best they can. It's not always um, ideal. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes you've got to work with the manager on who they want to bring in as well. But I do like the Brewers uh, decision a couple of years ago, albeit uh, to bring in Chris Hook, who is more of a homegrown coach as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think having that that inside the organization relationship with the players is definitely beneficial. But I, I do think there can be some benefits of hiring someone from the outside as well, like Derek Johnson, uh, who they did and did a fabulous job with the Brewers before he did leave to go to the Reds. Yeah, Johnson, no. I, I think there was, there's no question that Johnson, I, he's one of those guys where I think it was evident that you could see an impact that he had on the Brewers I mean, uh, like pitching he, staff he, as a whole. He turned Chase Anderson into a good pitcher. Uh, mm-hmm. for even for a year or two, Jimmy Nelson really broke out under him after kind of being just an okay starter for a while. Junior Guerra even uh, ended up becoming a pretty good reliever long-term and even a, a good starter for a couple of years. So, yeah, I do think that Derek Johnson's impact on the Brewers was um, was pretty high. But I think Chris Hook is also doing a, a good job. Yeah, when Johnson decided to leave abruptly, it was definitely, it came as a surprise to myself and I think all Brewers fans. It was definitely the most disappointed I've been uh, for a Brewers coach to leave because we definitely saw the impact that he had um, on the Brewers. So like like we said, we'll continue to see how the Brewers offense especially does and how that impacts Andy Haynes' role as the hitting coach both this year and going forward. Um, What kind of some thoughts there around the Brewers coaching? And actually on last week's episode, uh, you were talking about all-star game ballots when that was going to be released. And sure enough, this week, MLB announcing uh, phase one of the all-star ballots beginning a couple days ago now, June 3rd, uh, with that first phase going from June 3rd to June 24th. Uh, so as always, vote early, vote often, as the Brewers always like to say. Um, I, I'm not sure there's too many uh, position players that you want to vote for. I, I could see Narvaez. Narvaez I, I, yeah. when, when taking a look at the, the stats, Narvaez is number two in the National League in OPS. Um, as a catcher, just behind Buster Posey, sandwiched between Posey and Kelly, who you mentioned last week. So I, I think Narvaez has a legitimate shot uh, if he continues, which, you know, is definitely a question mark. Regression is probably likely uh, for him. Yeah, I think he's really the only guy who even has a chance. He's not going to get voted in. He's not like a household name. Um, I, I guess I didn't even really look at how the voting is taking place this year. Of course, we didn't have it last year. Uh, are they doing it? I think they did it in 2019 where – it's like the top three go into phase two or something at each position, and then you vote on just those. Yeah, I haven't I haven't uh, dove in fully into what they decided to do, but I do see that phase one, uh, like I said, ending June twenty fourth, is uh, choosing who, what players advance, and then that second phase just from June twenty eighth to July first is the vote for the starters. So it looks like they're going to do an overall vote for who's going to make the All Star team, um, at least from the fans, and then. Uh, effectively do a second round to then uh, select the starters. Got it. That's interesting. Uh, I don't think they've done that. I think they maybe did that once, maybe 2019, but we haven't seen that very often. 
Um, maybe Brewer fans will come out and we'll see like the 2014 Royals, I think it was, who had like seven starters. <laughs> uh, that'd be fun yeah. if, if that happened. I, unfortunately, I don't think that it would be a very good all-star game. I don't think the NL would have a pretty good shot um, with, with the way the Brewers offense has been. But I mean, there will be a definitely strong Brewers presence there uh, in the all-star game. A number of pitchers, we're going to see Woodruff, probably Burns, probably Hayter. Um, and, and maybe Peralta, maybe Narvaez. Brewers have had a lot of all-stars recently, it seems like, and could be continuing that trend this year. Yeah, if they have – if they have, uh, certainly I think you can expect that for them to have three. I think it's very unlikely that we see less than three. But I really, I really am believing in Freddie Peralta. I think he does have a pretty good shot of continuing this hot stretch that he's on and finding his way uh, into the all-star game, which, like you said, it's got to be pretty cool for him at the age that he is at. Um, but certainly, um, like you said, not, I guess, I don't know if, if there was a year not to worry about voting for the all-star game, this may be the year because uh, like you said, Narvaez isn't that big name. Posey's probably going to start at, at that position. He's got the name and the performance this year, which is always nice when they have the the performance that actually backs up the name on like yeah, some so years where like Derek Jeter in his league. final year, getting that start at shortstop and those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah, I remember even NBA, I think Allen Iverson started in the All-Star game and he wasn't even starting on his own team. Um, <laughs> so you, you don't want to see something like that. Um, but before we wrap up today, we, we talked about the trivia question uh, at the start of the episode. Just a reminder, today's trivia question, um, before Corbin Burns' 13 strikeout outing on Sunday, who was the last starting pitcher to strike out 13 or more in a game in a Brewers uniform? Uh, do you have a guess as to who that might be, Peter? Yeah, so uh, when the when the question arose, the first name that came to mind, Big Sweat Jimmy Nelson. Uh, I was trying to think back if he had had a start with 13 or more strikeouts. I mean, he had that good stretch where he was really pitching well. Uh, but then when you said it, it would have a, an importance to us over the last couple of years, my, my, my brain thought back to Freddie Peralta's very memorable Major League debut over in Colorado. Really cool story with his family coming to see him start in AAA that day. First time they were going to see him pitch professionally, which is very noteworthy because he had been in the minors oh, yeah. for a while. Like you said, Brewers traded for him at age 17. So for years he had been pitching professionally here in the United States. Family finally coming to go see him start in AAA Biloxi for the Brewers. And then, of course, Peralta then getting the nod uh, for a short notice start at a major league debut for the young righty. And uh, he was outstanding, pretty much just, I remember both of us watching that game together. He pretty much just threw fastballs past the Rockies the entire yeah, game. Yeah, at like 91 miles an hour. It was incredible. Yeah. So is that your final guess, Freddie yeah. Peralta's Mother's Day game? Yes, that is that is my final guess. That would be correct. I am very pleasantly surprised that you were able to get that one correct. I would have actually thought that they had a 13-strikeout a game more recently uh, until I saw that stat. Um, but I, that was, of course, yeah, very memorable. And that's what I was trying to trying to hint at a little bit uh, because it was a, an excellent game, an excellent moment for Freddie Peralta. Yeah, I, I, I know I wouldn't have gotten it without the hint, but I was still pretty impressed that I was able to think back to 2018 uh, a couple of years back. And it, it is still kind of crazy to think about Freddie Peralta being with the Brewers since 2018. Uh, certainly feels like he's still kind of a newcomer to the team in some ways. 
Yeah, he's kind of just finally establishing himself. But I think part of that is he debuted at 21 years old. So when you do debut that young, it's not uncommon to take a little bit to get acclimated to the major leagues. He's really doing that now. So I think that's a big reason why it feels like he's kind of inexperienced still. Um, but that was yeah. an excellent moment. And I'm, I'm very, very happy that you were able to get that. Sure, your question, right? I, to be honest, I did not have much hope in you. Uh, but you were <laughs> able to come through this time. I was able. It, it's because I, I haven't had all the trivia questions thrown at me over the last couple of weeks. So I, I regained my confidence since I seem to miss about 80% of the questions <laughs> you throw at me. True, true. So, so as we wrap up today here, looking ahead to the Brewers week, we talked about a weaker schedule this past week, uh, kind of continuing for the Brewers, three-game set against the Reds, followed by a three-game set against the Pirates. So two divisional teams, uh, those two bottom teams. Reds have been playing pretty good baseball as of late, uh, sitting around 500. So not necessarily – um, easy games, but nonetheless, still teams that the Brewers should take care of. Hopefully, Brewers able to take two out of three from each of those series and continue the hot streak. Uh, Cardinals not playing as well right now as of late, and so certainly a chance for the Brewers to try to uh, create some distance between them and the Cardinals and, and possibly even the Cubs um, while they try to build up a lead in the NL Central. So, David, any final thoughts here before we head out? Yeah, a couple stats that I had. Um... It seems like every start there's a new stat by from Corbin Burns or from Freddie Peralta, but Corbin Burns has four starts this year of uh, ten plus strikeouts and no walks, and his four already doubled uh, the most that anyone has had in a season. Ben Sheets did it twice, where he had two such outings in a year, and Jimmy Nelson also had two outings of ten plus strikeouts and no walks back in 2017 Burns has already done it four times and he's what 10 starts into the year um so he's been outstanding just one more stat to display the excellence of him Freddie Peralta also has more stats or excuse me more starts than anyone in Brewers history in a single season of five plus innings and one or fewer hits he's done that I think four or five times already also which is very impressive uh, I know it has been a the kind of the year of the pitcher part two um but at the same time it, it's still Five innings, one hit is very hard to do against major league lineups these days. Uh, and that's been really impressive, something that no Brewer has done uh, before Freddie Peralta as, as often as him. So that's just another stat also to kind of show the excellence of Freddie Peralta this year. We've talked a lot about him on this episode and didn't even really get that much into his no-hit bid that went into the eighth inning on Friday before that little bloop single by Nick Ahmed ended the no-hit bid. Um, but Peralta's been excellent. Burns has been excellent. And I, I think those you can't really overstate it. Yeah, I, I think uh, to summarize our podcast episode, the Brewers starting pitching is pretty good. Uh, Brandon Woodruff, solid arm, Burns, Peralta, both of those guys having uh, pretty good years. I think that's a fair summary of both uh, this episode and uh, the last couple of months has been starting pitching has been great. Bullpen, so-so, and uh, offense still waiting to get started. So, we will continue to wait for that offense to get started and watch really what has been a historic season for the Brewers starting pitching, exciting season, and looking forward for that to continue. So as we continue our stretch into June, as always, go Brewers. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love if you would be willing to support our podcast financially. And you can find the link to do that down below in the episode notes through the Anchor app. Be sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com where you can find great articles and content there. 
and interact with us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening and see you next week. 